0: Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Howdy, Faith Church. I'm not the smartest guy. I just figured out that, like, you wouldn't even hear me or see me without technology, right? Like, so I'm just thinking about this week, like, whoa you guys can hear me because there's sound on and lights on and cameras on. And more people are watching or engaging with me because of technology than hearing me with their own eyes. How cool is technology, right? I'm going to sing a little Napoleon Dynamite song like, I love technology. And I'm super grateful for our production staff. Like, I'm really grateful today for our team that makes all this happen. Yeah. It's It's amazing how God takes all things, including technology, and uses it to advance his kingdom, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, You know, this phrase happens often, there's comments that we hear often, I have good news or bad news, what do you want first? Right? Don't you, my answer to that, when somebody says, I have good news and bad news, I go, I don't even want to hear the bad news. Like I'm not choosing, just tell me the good news and I'll pretend that I don't even know the bad news, right? It's interesting because we've learned to live in this paradigm that good news and bad news are always together, that there's not a separation between the two. And so when someone tells us good news, we're waiting for the bad news. And when someone says I have bad news, we're longing for the good news, right? They live side by side. And what I find fascinating is, For most of us, we connect good news with people and bad news with God. We attribute bad things to God. So people say things like this. uh, Why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? And the presumption is God is allowing and doing bad things all the time, orchestrating bad things all the time, and anything good that's happening is people-related. Anything bad that's happening is God-related. And it's like, really? Is that really the paradigm? And when good things happen, are you looking over your shoulder and going, when's the bad gonna happen? Like, it's almost like, "Good, hey, I'm in a good season of life. Things are going really well. I'm enjoying things, and you're like, when is it going to happen? Bad news is coming, right? And so we we live in this world where bad and good side by side, and we have this funky relationship with how it relates to God. It's kind of why this summer we spent a lot of time talking about how God is favorably disposed to his sons and daughters. He wants to bless us with his divine presence. He wants to give us good Things. This is his nature. Every day he wants to bless and grant us good things. He is not a genie in a bottle, right? We talked about this, where you get all your wishes met in God. He'd make you wealthy and wealthy and wealthy and wealthy and wealthy. That's not God. But he's also not a linebacker, right? That's waiting for you to slip up and he's going to nail you, kind of gloat over you. He's not either of those two things, but he does want to gift you with his patience. He wants to gift you with his mercy. He wants to gift you with his love. He wants to gift you with his goodness. He is favorably disposed to you and to me. So interesting. Look at this statement. God is the source of the best and the worst news. Like where did good news and bad news come from? God. You go, I'm seeing some of you going like, what? God is the source of good and bad news? Like, yeah. Just track with me for a moment. If God was standing here right now, he'd go, hey, everybody, I got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? God would say that to you and me. Bad news first. Okay, the bad news is you are worse than you will ever admit. You and me are so broken, so messed up, so deceived, so wrecked, so broken, deceived, all that jazz, we're so messed up, more than we're willing to admit, that's the bad news. The good news is God is so much more loving than you could ever imagine. The good news is God loves you and sent his son to die for you. We are messed up. God's like a doctor. You go into the doctor and he's like, hey, I've got good news or bad news for you. What do you want first? The good news is wait, you got to hear the bad news first. Bad news is you're really sick. You wouldn't be at the doctor if you didn't know there were symptoms of sickness. We wouldn't have doctors if we weren't sick. We know intrinsically that we're sick. So we go to the doctor, he says, good news or bad news? You go, bad news first, you're sick. And you go, man, I hate hearing bad news from my doctor. Like, that's so stupid. Of course your doctor's gonna tell you the truth, right? That's what doctors do. But against the backdrop of the truth that you're messed up is the truth, good news that he has a treatment for you. There's a treatment. And so with God, it's the same. God is the source of the best and the worst news because God is the source of truth. You wanna know what's true in the world? You go to God. You wanna know what's reality? You go to God. And God, when you look at our human condition, we are so much more messed up than we're willing to admit as a race. As humanity, we're so messed up. But against that backdrop, that bad news, is this great news, there's a treatment, it's called Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for our sins so that we could have new life. And so God orchestrates this for us to share with us this good news. It's against the backdrop of the bad news. And what is the church of Jesus Christ but a group of people that realize and they come together to go, we're messed up. We're so messed up. We're so deceived, we're so broken and our God is so great. That's the church of Jesus Christ. The recognition that we're so broken and so sick and the greatness of God in response to our brokenness is how praise and worthy is he of all goodness and honor. This is the community called faith. And this is pretty hard hitting, right? You're like, can we just like slow down for a minute? Can we take a breath up there, Jersey Joe? Relax for a minute. And I get it. So we're going to actually spend the next three months relaxing a little bit in the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, we're starting this new sermon series. I'd like to slow down with you for a minute and talk about why we're doing Romans. So Romans 1, 2, and 3, and what we're going to look at in this sermon series called Gospel Truth is we're going to look at the human condition of just how broken we all are as humans. And against the backdrop of that brokenness is the greatness of God and how wonderful he is. So we're going to slow down and lean into this over the next number of months together. So if you have your Bibles, we're jumping into Romans chapter one, verses one through seven. So open up, follow along with me. And Just some context about Romans before we kind of dig in to the specific passage today. Paul is the author of this book, Romans, and he's writing it to a group of people, Christ followers, in the city of Rome. Paul has never met these people. He has never visited Rome. He's heard of their faith, and he's writing because he would like at some point to go visit them. He's kind of introducing himself through this profound letter to kind of state who he is and what he's about. It's the city of Rome, which is the center of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire is this expansive, really culturally diverse, religiously diverse place, cultural hub, right? And within this city, there are some churches. Now, churches didn't function like they do today. It wasn't a big room and a group of people. They were meeting in different houses around the city, small groups of people meeting in houses. Paul would write this letter and send it to the churches in Rome, and they would read the letter and then pass it to the next house church, and they would read it and study and learn. And he's trying to help them because within the church in Rome, there's Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And you'll hear this phrase multiple times in the letter, gentile is just not jewish right so there's jewish ethnically jewish or religiously jewish people and there's gentile not ethnically jewish christians living side by side and these two groups jews and non-jews don't get along they don't like each other because of their ethnic diversity and their belief systems they don't like each other so they kind of now all of a sudden Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are worshiping in small house churches in together, worshiping Jesus. And Paul's like, oh, there's going to be drama there, right? Different people in small groups together interacting that usually don't get along and fight. And he's like, I want to write this letter to help these Jewish Gentile Christians understand what's basic, but he also knows the culture of Rome, and he knows because of the political diversity, the cultural diversity, he knows all the craziness of Rome. He wants to give them a foundational understanding, these Christians, about basic truths of Christianity. And why are we as a church family working our way through this letter? We're working our way through it because we are also culturally diverse. We all come from different backgrounds, different stripes of Christianity, different perspectives. We're living in a culture that's diverse as can be. And when the craziness of our lives spins around our head, my head and your head, and when the craziness of diversity spins around our church and our small groups, and when the craziness of diversity spins around our culture, where do we go to find what is true? What's gonna anchor us? What's a compass? What's a sort of, I can foundationally believe something reason we're working through this is Paul's got something to say that's going to help our diverse family realize the things that are most important in life. And so that's why we're leaning into this together today. Would you pray with me? God, as we jump into this incredible book, would you help us? It's understood to be one of the most difficult books in the Bible to understand. And so we're, we're a little bit nervous, some of us who have read it before, and it's just heavy hitting, universal truth that's going to challenge us, but it's so freeing to know that while we're so sinful, you're so merciful. While we're messed up, you're so gracious and so patient. So, help us to see that, I pray, today as we lean into this. I pray that your spirit would work to lead and guide us as we work our way through today's passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. "'Regarding his Son, who as to his earthly life "'was a descendant of David, "'and who through the spirit of holiness "'was appointed the Son of God in power "'by his resurrection from the dead, "'Jesus Christ our Lord. "'Through him we received grace and apostleship "'to call from faith for his name's sake, "'And you also are among those Gentiles "'who are all called to belong to Jesus Christ. "'To all in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Phew, there's a run-on sentence, right? I mean, pretty thick. Paul wrote 13 letters. This is his most complex and longest introduction. And it's like, whoa, what the heck does that even mean? Right? And so we're gonna slow down and kind of talk through this. What does he mean when he says these things? Romans chapter one, he says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. So the word servant is actually the word slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Was Paul always a slave of Christ Jesus? No, if you read the book of Acts, what you find out is Paul was first this guy named Saul who was really smart, a great leader, highly educated, and super passionate. He's Jewish, And the Jewish faith was against Jesus, right? So who were the people that killed Jesus? The Pharisees handed him over, right? And so they're, they're seeing Jesus, the Jewish faith is seeing Jesus as a threat to their religion, and so they killed Jesus. And now there's people in the Christian faith that believe Jesus rose again from the dead, right? And so there's this chaos in their society. Paul is this guy, Saul, who's passionate about his Jewish faith in an extreme way, so he's traveling around the region trying to silence Christianity, silence anybody that would oppose Judaism as it's been taught through the laws of Moses. He's willing to arrest people, he's willing to kill people. His name is Saul, a religious extremist, a Jewish religious extremist, and one day he bumps into the risen Christ. And all of a sudden, this guy named Saul, who's an extremist for Judaism, converts to Christianity. How does that happen? How do you go from wanting to kill someone who, differs, who has differences from you religion-wise... To someone who now is promoting that religion, it's because he bumped into the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who was dead and now is alive again. He bumped into the risen Christ, and Jesus transformed his life in a moment and took a guy named Saul and converted him into Paul and said, now I'm a slave to this Jesus I'm a servant of this Jesus because he's changed my life so radically. I'm going to call myself a slave, a bond servant to Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say I'm called also to be an apostle. An apostle is a sent one. Someone who's sent official business, an ambassador. Here you have a guy who says, I'm super smart, I'm super capable, super passionate, now i become a slave to Jesus Christ, and I'm an apostle, an sent one, an ambassador, this humble servant of God, now a slave who is an ambassador of what? The gospel of God. So the word gospel is interesting. We hear the word gospel in our culture. It's used a lot of different ways at different times. It's found throughout the Bible, the word gospel. So let's slow down and look at the word gospel. What does it mean? Gospel, I'm not good at Greek. I'm not really good at English either. Um, but that's the Greek word, gospel, and it means good news, right? It means glad tidings. It means You were in the middle of a war and now there's peace. It means you were Jewish people in exile in Babylon and now you're free. It means you were Jewish people in Egypt in slavery and now Moses is good news, you're set free. It's good news of glad tidings, great news of great joy for all the people. It's good news. Now, if you look at this in Greek, it's the root word of this is the word where we get evangelical. Is evangelical a good word in our culture today or a not so good word? Is it sort of loaded with meaning? When people go, those evangelicals, is that a positive thing or a not positive thing? Right, The word evangelical comes from this word, good news, and in its original meaning, it means someone who knows good news and proclaims good news. So Joe Hensler is evangelical. And that has nothing to do with my politics. It has nothing to do with what I vote for. It's not that Republican or Democrat or what you think about pro-life or not pro-life has nothing to do with that. It has to do with, I know good news. Jesus Christ has come to save, right? That's what it means. And so when you're evangelical, uh, I went to a really great restaurant and I'm evangelical about telling you good news about this great restaurant. You have a football team you love, you're evangelical. You tell people the good news about your, your championship. Your good news sharing is evangelical. So this is not a bad word. We've made it into a political word. But it's so much greater and grander. There's good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's good news. And Paul goes, let me explain this good news to you he gets into it. He says, this gospel, this good news, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. This good news God promised beforehand. So God started sharing good news and bad news right at the beginning of the Bible, So the bad news is that sin enters the world because of human choices, and now our sin leads us in rebellion to God, and our sin leads to death, and God's like, that's bad news, but right at the beginning of the Bible, he promises good news, that he's going to send someone to rescue us from our sin and our brokenness. A Messiah is going to come to earth, and this has been promised and prophesied 300 plus times in the the Old Testament, in the scriptures through the prophets, prophesied that this Messiah is going to come and fix everything, who in his earthly life was a descendant of David. So when King David was on planet earth, he was the shepherd boy that became a king, and he loved his sheep, and he protected his sheep, and then he loved the people that God entrusted to him, and he protected them. And he's this great king that comes through the Jewish line that everybody looked up to, and he had a heart after God. He was an incredibly good king. And the Bible promises that someday someone's going to come who's greater than King David, who's going to lead his people and sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And it's been prophesied. And so when Jesus shows up on planet Earth, his earthly life, he's a descendant of King David. He comes through the Jewish line of King David. He has been prophesied that he's going to show up and make a difference, but he comes as someone better than David because he loved God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind and loved his neighbor as himself and never made any mistakes. And Jesus, because of his perfect life, was innocently crucified. And so what does the text say? And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection. So Jesus comes in the earthly line of David. He's greater than David, walks into the hands of sinful man who crucify him, and he's raised to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit to declare that this Jesus is more than an earthly king in the line of David. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, some of you are really smart. Some of you, not so much. (laughs) Jesus Christ isn't a first and a last name. Like, his name isn't Jesus Christ. That's not it, right? His initials aren't JC, right? Christ is his title. It's the word Messiah. It's the word Messiah. So Jesus comes to the Jewish line of David. He's raised to life, appointed through the power of the Holy Spirit and declared this is the Messiah, the chosen one, the one promised and prophesied from the beginning who's going to rescue his people. And he's not only the promised Messiah, he is Lord, King, sovereign over everything and everyone. And Paul says this is the gospel, the good news through the Jewish line, all these promises. And here comes Jesus, fulfills all those promises and more and declared through his resurrection, Messiah and sovereign over all things. Paul continues, through him, Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call all Gentiles, non-Jews, to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here's the bad news, we're all sinners. We're all more messed up than we're willing to admit. But the good news is God promised and delivered through the line of David, a Messiah, who came and lived and died and rose again in power to free us from our sins and grant us life eternal and adoption into a community, into a family. He says all of this is done by grace. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing you deserve. It's a gift from God and you access it by faith. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can earn. You can't get it. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that grace is applied to your life. You're adopted into the family of God and your identity now changes. I belong to him. I see how broken I am, I see how needy I am, I see that God has provided for me his son who died and rose again to grant me life, and by grace through faith I belong to him and I have an identity change that now I'm different. So all this changes. My good news, the treatment that comes through the person and the work of Christ changes me. I was sick, and now I'm well. I was blind, and now I see. I have an identity change by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a lot to take in, right? Okay, slow down, Jersey Joe. Take a deep breath, everyone. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. A hard right turn, Ready? I want you to use your imagination, Rowan, and imagine you're a pirate. Just use your imagination. Like, think of a pirate in your mind. What is your imagery of a pirate? I don't know what you think about. Patch, stubby leg. I'm not sure what you're thinking. But think of a pirate for a moment. Got it? Pirate in your mind. What's the bad news of a pirate? The bad news of a pirate is that you're poor. You got nothing, right? You're bankrupt. You're poor. You might have no eye, you might have no leg, and you're stuck on a ship because you're poor. Right? That's the reality of a pirate. And what is the good news of a pirate? The good news is you find a treasure map. Right? And if you find a treasure map, you can suddenly be rich right? because you're poor, you're broken, you have no money, you're bankrupt, and so you're out sailing the seven seas and you're looking for a treasure map and then you discover a treasure map and you follow the treasure map to the treasure and under the X, it marks the spot and you discover riches and it changes your life forever. I mean, you still might have a bad eye and a bad leg, right? I don't know, but you're all of a sudden rich. It changes your identity. I think this is what Paul is trying to get at with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are bankrupt. There's nothing we can do to please a holy God, nothing. We're poor, we're broken, we're rebels. We're desperately need of a savior and a savior is promised through the holy scriptures and the, and the holy scriptures are like a roadmap that lead to the cross that each and every page unfolds in chapters that point to this Messiah who's going to come in the power of God to rescue you and me. And when Jesus comes, he's the treasure we've been longing for. And the Bible points to it and leads us in this direction to see it, that we might understand the treasure of Christ. And as the treasure of Christ changes, it changes our identity and makes everything different. We can't unsee the cross of Jesus Christ. And why is it in Christianity the cross is the center? Like why is it that we care about the cross? Why do people wear crosses? Why the cross? It's a great question. So you think about Jesus coming to planet Earth before the cross, what was his life like from the time he was born to the time he died on the cross? He came through the Jewish line of David, right? He's got the right pedigree, the right heritage. He's come by a virgin to fulfill prophecy, right? He comes this way and he lives this life perfectly. He goes through all the ups and downs, lefts and rights, And he lives it and navigates it perfectly. He loved God perfectly. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. He did greater things than David. David was unjust and got angry and shed blood. Jesus didn't do any of that. He does that in his 33 years of life and demonstrates what it looks like to love God and love neighbor by the power of the Holy Spirit perfectly. And then he gets to the cross And what do you see at the cross? You see the vileness of human sin. You see an innocent person dying. You see the wrath of God being poured out upon an innocent person. A just and holy God must repay, must pay for the sins. He can't look the other way. And at the cross, we see the wrath of God poured out on the Son of God. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own ways, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then on the third day, he rises again from the dead and shows himself publicly, for 40 days, so he's walking around in public showing his hands. People saw him dying across. They saw him putting in to tomb, and they saw him publicly, his hands, his feet. They're like, wait, dude, I saw you dead. What's up with that? You're alive. Publicly puts this on display, so public that this cross of Jesus Christ changed the calendar and the history of our world. It was that public that he was dead, and now he's alive again. When he came The first time, he came in obscurity and humility, and only a handful of eyes saw him. But when he comes again, the other side of the cross, he's exalted to the highest place. He will return, and the next time he comes, he won't come in obscurity. He'll come in power, and every eye will see him, and he will make all things right and just. The cross is this spot where it all happens, and why we know him to be a treasure Because at the cross, we see how desperately bad news is real enough that the worst of the worst happens to the innocent. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, but also the love of God is put on display in such an incredible way that we are worse than we could ever imagine, and he is greater than we could ever imagine because of the cross. And it puts us into focus of what And this treasure map of life leads us to see Jesus. So Paul kind of gets to the end of this greeting. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So everybody in Rome in these house churches, he's like, to all of you who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, I think he's absolutely talking to Christians, but isn't everybody in Rome loved by God? Isn't everybody in Rome called, invited to be God's holy people? The answer is yes. He did all of this for all people. This whole idea of a holy people, this word holy means different. You're called by God to be different. You're called by God to be unique, set apart, holy, some translations peculiar. There's something about this recognition of the fact that I'm broken and I desperately need a savior and I put my trust in Jesus and it changes my identity and I begin to look different, holy, unique, special. What we're gonna see as we work our way through the book of Romans, you're gonna see this and this is sort of complex and beautiful. It's gonna take me more time to unpack, but believing faith is obedient faith. That in the Bible, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we see that I'm broken and lost and I have no way of pleasing God, when I see the cross of Christ and I see that it changes me from the inside out, that he's taken my sins and he makes me new, that believing on him as the source of my everything is also about obedience. You can't separate believing from obeying in God's word, which means... It's so easy for me to say, I believe in Jesus, but it's really hard for me to say, I'll follow and obey him. I struggle with that, don't you? Where it's like, God, you'll forgive me for my sins? You'll give me life eternal? I want that, sign me up, right? No hell, I'm in, right? We all want that, but obeying him, following him? I wanna find Jesus and I want him to adopt me into his family, but I don't wanna follow him in the New Testament, and we're going to work our way through this, believing faith is obedient faith. It's not separated. To say, I believe that Jesus is the treasure is to say, I'm going to give him my life. He's going to take all of me, and I'm going to give him all of me, and I'm going to follow him no matter what the cost or consequence. We're going to get into that, but that's really hard. Like, we can all just sit here and go, man, I like to find him, the treasure, and I like all the peace and the joy he wants to give me, but the obedience, not really interested in that. It's why Paul ends the greeting by saying, grace and peace to you. So to all who have been called and peculiar and different and unique, and now you're called to be believing and obedient, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean? Why? See, I need the grace and peace of Christ to help me eternally. I recognize I'm broken and lost and sinful and I'm sick and I need help eternally. And so I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I expect he's going to give me grace and peace eternally. But here's the good news. It's better than that. He wants to give you grace and peace now. Not just when you die. Not just forgiving you of past sins. He wants to deposit in your account grace and peace right now now. And the faith that it's taken to get grace and peace eternally is the faith that it takes to get grace and peace now. So when I say to him, I'll follow you, I invite him to give me grace and peace right now. And so do you really just want to find him and get something eternally and live this chaotic, diverse, whack life without his grace and peace? He's like, "Well, you trusted me with your sin for your eternal life, but you won't trust me with your life right now, the grace and peace you desperately need right now, the same faith that saves us and adopts us into the family of God is the faith that changes us and helps us to walk with him day by day with him depositing in my life the grace and peace I need to go through difficulty as a parent or a spouse or a hard job or whatever you're going through. He wants to give you grace and peace for that right Now, I love John Stott. He wrote this about the gospel. He says, the good news, right, is the gospel of God. God's the source of good news. It's about Christ. Who's the center of it? Christ, according to the scriptures, this has been prophesied and taught. Over 1,600 years, the Bible's put together by 40 different authors, incredible literary feat. According to the scriptures, who's it for? Just us Americans, For the nations, it's for everyone. It's not an exclusive club. It's for everyone and for the obedience of faith. Believing faith is obedient faith and for the sake of the name. See, when a group of diverse people like you and me who have all different ethnicities and backgrounds and perspectives, when we actually realize how sick we are and how great God is and we put our trust in him and we start to live a lifestyle of obedience to him, who gets honor? Jesus. Because how and what would it take to make this diverse family all obedient? Like I, The only thing would be the risen Christ and the only one who gets glory and honor for that. The only one that gets glory and honor for us planning a church in Southeast Asia is a God who would take all of us and go, you guys are messed up, but I love you so much that I'm gonna change you and you're gonna care about people you'll never meet in Southeast Asia. And God gets the glory. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you all are today on your journey. Maybe you've not followed Jesus. You have no idea. This is the first time you're hearing this stuff. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. Here's what I know. Nobody likes bad news. Nobody likes to hear I'm broken and I'm distorted and I'm deceived more than I realize. But it's against that backdrop that we realize just how great God is and the treasure map that we're promised is for all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, the Bible opens up for us a treasure that when we walk with God and open up his scriptures, he's going to lead us to peace and hope and grace. And the spirit of God wants to grab your hand and guide you. So wherever you are, if you've heard this a thousand times or you're hearing it for the first time right now, open your Bible and open your heart to the spirit of God and watch And if you've never read Romans or you've read it a hundred times, start reading Romans this week and ask God to show you more and to guide you into truth and his spirit will do that and together as a community, we're going to learn maybe some hard things as we work our way through Romans 1, 2, and 3, but things that are gonna set us free. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word that guides us I thank you for your spirit that leads us. And I ask that every searching heart today, every heart that desperately needs grace and peace would seek you and find you because you're not far from any of us. Whether we've been journeying with you for decades or we're starting just to be curious, would you lead us and guide us? You promise that if we seek you, we'll find you. So be the physician of our souls through the resurrected Christ. Would you heal us? And would you drive obedience into us, knowing that obeying you is the greatest freedom we could find. Make us both slaves and ambassadors of Jesus Christ, sharing this good news because it's so changed us like Paul. Help us as we lean into this as a family, in Jesus' name.